0: Hey, gang, this week's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Hey, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app now, create an account, and use code GOODSEATS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code GOODSEATS for $20 off. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed, download game time today. And now, here's our show.
1: Turnbull, into the Colorado end. Turnbull, backhand shot, Rush saves, drops it back of the goal. Zarella, around the boards for McMillan, Class and cuts in and intercepts. Here's Turnbull, right into the crease area. And again, Chico Rush steered it wide. Bobby McMillan got a stick on it. Malinowski up the right side. And we had an offside call at the blue line. McMillan already with four goals. You can see that glint in his as He headed towards the other end with 12 seconds left. Well, also, Joe, I can see the difference that it's made in merlin Belanowski. Oh, yeah, yeah very aggressive I have not see game, I him skating the way he's skating here tonight. He's been given a couple of gifted wingers. And, uh, well, that's kind of catching, though, isn't it, Pete, when you got guys like McMillan and Lever out there hustling. You one. really can't do well, much you, but keep up with them. Well, I mean, you really really like, you like your wingers to be able to skate, and you're able to give them the puck. Lever is an outstanding skater. McMillan certainly a great goal scorer and a great skater uh, and this is uh, rejuvenated Merlin Malinowski they've been on his case here uh, somewhat in Colorado he's having an outstanding game here tonight for the Rockies. Played very well just ten seconds left here in the third period the Colorado Rockies up seven to one crowd beginning to count the time down Lowenburg clears out to center ice. There it is. There is the final buzzer. And they love it here. A standing ovation for the Colorado Rockies. And that man certainly played a large part in what happened here tonight. As we see the enthusiastic fans here at the McNichols Arena, the Colorado Rockies winning and going away 7-1. 7-1, our final quickly, the scoring in the third period, all for Colorado. Steve Tambellini at 152. Fred Ashton at 915. And Bob McMillan, his fourth goal of the game at 14:16 16 of the period, And the Colorado Rockies come away with a 7-1 victory over the St. Louis Blues tonight. 10-8, the shots on goal in favor of St. Louis in that third period. Our final score again, 7-1, Colorado over St. Louis. We'll be back right after this. Welcome to Good
0: Seats, Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. All right, let's get this underway, shall we? How you doing, everybody? Your pal Tim here. It's good seats still available. Thanks for joining us. The curious little podcast that we like to do for you each and every week that's devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Appreciate you coming by and uh, finding us in the uh, wide, vast array of podcast choices out there. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's see. This is episode number 302. And uh, we are going to uh, get into more hockey. Episode 197, if you remember that from about, geez, well, more than two years ago now, uh, with our pal Terry Fry out in Denver, uh, was sort of our first introduction uh, to the story. Uh, Terry, a um, uh, a longtime uh, sports writer, columnist uh, in the Denver slash Colorado area uh, in the realm of sports and his first ever pro gig uh, doing the writing thing was... Uh, for this team known as the Colorado Rockies. Well, uh, we are ecstatic to uh, revisit the topic this week uh, with our new pal, Greg Enright, uh, who has a brand new book, just came out about two weeks ago, uh, the definitive uh, history of this uh, Colorado Rockies six-year NHL, I guess you can call it an experiment. It's called Rocky Hockey, the short but wild ride of the NHL's Colorado Rockies. And you, of course, you remember that The Rockies were this uh, sort of uh, interesting, uh, very uh, oftentimes tentative uh, franchise that lasted a full six count of seasons uh, in the National Hockey League. Their first two years prior to that were uh, as the uh, Kansas City Scouts. Talked about that too with our uh, pal Troy Treasure in a previous episode, Uh, and of course in 1982. Uh, The Colorado Rockies, after six years of life in Denver's uh, then relatively modern McNichols Arena, no longer with us, uh, moved to where they uh, currently live now, and that's New Jersey. As the playoff uh, is still alive, uh, New Jersey Devils, former Stanley Cup champions, of course, a couple of times. That was in the old uh, Brendan Byrne slash Meadowlands Arena. Now they course, play in the Prudential Center in downtown uh, Newark, those New Jersey Devils. But we get into uh, the history of the Colorado Rockies uh, time uh, in the New Jersey Devils history. And um, uh, Greg and I go uh, pretty deep into lots of different sort of nooks and crannies of the uh, curious, very curious, uh, uh, six-year life of uh, this franchise that uh, had... Geez, I don't know. It must have been uh, at least six different managers, or coaches that is, uh, four separate ownership groups, and arguably uh, one or two others sort of always sort of lingering in the background. Uh, a constant threat uh, of moving uh, to uh, a, a whole bunch of other cities over time. Obviously, a, a uh, rocky, uh, pun intended, uh, entrance uh, into Denver. Um a WHA franchise that uh, kind of preceded them, and then uh, was uh, uh, whisked away uh, to get out of the way, so that the um, uh, the arena could open up and receive this uh, floundering Kansas City franchise. And even on the way out, it was uh, it was messy. They were, they were rumored of or being out, leaving uh, Denver for for a bunch of years. Uh, and uh, I, to be a fan of this team must have been some project uh, for sure. Um, One of the uh, few wins of the uh, last season, their 1981-82 season, uh, you heard the end of there uh, from uh, the old, uh, actually, uh, probably only maybe two years old, ESPN. Joe Boyle and Pete Stemkowski on the call on the fledgling Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. Uh, That was January 8th, 1982. When the Colorado Rockies uh, stuffed the St. Louis Blues, a rare not only win but a rare blowout seven to one, and uh, it's um, one of the handful of clips, not many out there, uh, of Colorado Rockies hockey, and um, we get into uh, the full story uh, of this very curious franchise uh, that um, you know had had four primary colors to their jerseys uh their uniforms and their logo uh our, our pal chris creamer uh rates is one of the uh, most memorable and standout logos of nhl history for sure uh crazy george henderson one of our earliest guests uh makes an appearance in this show he uh being uh a uh, a go-to crowd pleaser Trying to get the uh, uh, assembled masses, or or less than masses, in McNichols Arena up and uh, uh, and excited for hopefully uh, somewhat of a uh, a compelling reason to cheer on the ice, and it's a it's a fun uh, and interesting story. And the book, just you know, as you can imagine, is chock full of uh, photos and uh, wacky tidbits from the history of the Colorado Rockies, the six year sojourn of uh, what is now the New Jersey Devils, and prior to that, the Kansas City Scouts. We get into that conversation with our pal Greg Enright in just a few moments' time. Stick around for it. Uh, Let's see. While you're online uh, looking around for the book, which is called Rocky Hockey, the short but wild ride of the NHL's Colorado Rockies, Uh, you can find it uh, wherever good books are found. It is published by Stadium Press. And, of course, the best... And uh most generous way that you can uh, make a purchase for uh, this uh, fine publication is to go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com, search up this episode number 302, and uh, you'll find a convenient link there. So just click on that, and we'll get a, a couple of nickels of, uh, of referral love. We appreciate that. And um, the book will be whisked to you either in paperback or Kindle version, however you choose to receive it. Uh, as fast as humanly possible. And when you're online, you can also check out our pals at royalretros.com, the king of throwbacks they are. Uh, As the name implies, tons of great stuff, whether they be jerseys or T-shirts or snapback caps, uh, various forms of other apparel. You name the Forgotten League, it's probably in there. And um, uh, we call them out, especially because... As we mentioned, the uh, Colorado Rockies um, color scheme and logo is probably the most one of the most memorable in all of NHL history. And at RoyalRetros.com, you will find uh, handcrafted, uh, custom-made, uh, you get your name and number on the back if you like, jerseys of some of the great hockey franchises of the past, of course, including... All four colors of the Colorado Rockies. You can get the Colorado Rockies hockey jersey in all its authenticity, in uh, the blue with the yellow and red trim, with a little white in there too. The white with the um, uh, the yellow and red uh, trim with the blue sort of striping, or in the red with the uh, yellow and uh, blue uh, stripes, all of them featuring that awesome uh, Rocky Mountain Sea sort of colored uh, Colorado State flag kind of emblem that uh, everybody remembers. And that's not all. It's not just the Colorado Rockies hockey jersey. You can get, uh, they've got T-shirts there. They've got the, the Colorado Rockies snapback hat, which is cool. But you can also get uh, other versions of this jersey, there's the uh, Colorado Rockies cream collection jersey, uh, where in essence, it's the it's sort of a uh, an off white kind of faded look in jersey form. Really, really awesome and cool looking and also a remix jersey in uh, in two different colors, three different colors, actually. Well, so it's four colors, right? Because they have they had four major colors, but you can get them in red, you get it in blue and obviously the uh, the emblazoned logo on there as well. Uh, And that's just a small sampling of what you can find, not just about the Colorado Rockies, but all kinds of teams and leagues. Again, at royalretros.com, the king of throwbacks. And when you're checking out, make sure you use the promo code SEATS, S-E-A-T-S, SEATS, for 10% off all of your purchases when you go early and often. It's royalretros.com, our tip of our snapback hat to our pal Dustin Alameda uh at uh, royal retros thank you sir for your kind uh, patronage of this show and we appreciate your sponsorship for a long time and um wonderful hopefully send a few more um uh purchases your way this week all right let's get into it though all right let's talk about the colorado rockies nhl uh it's a fun conversation here it is our pal greg enright please as always enjoy with a lot of these kinds of things obviously I'm always curious to know what the background is. So what is your background both professionally and personally um whether it is or isn't related to this story.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, um so I'm a journalist by trade. I've uh you know, uh graduated uh many moons ago with a degree in journalism and um you know, that's pretty much in my career, writing and editing uh, in different forms over the years, uh, mainly centered in the technology and business space. So not really a, a sports writing uh, background, but uh, you know that's just what uh, sort of uh, was uh, you know available at the time. There were quite a bit of jobs and lots of opportunity in that space, and I, I found that I liked it. So. That's really been the professional side. Um, And then on the side, you know, I just continue to to pursue my passion, which is hockey history. And, uh, you know, so I've just uh, been writing and and, uh, blogging. And, uh, uh, you know, the last few years, I've actually turned my attention to writing books uh, about hockey history. And um, so Rocky Hockey is my second book. Uh, The first one was... uh, about the pittsburgh penguins first 25 years which came out in 2020 and um yeah it's just been a you know lifelong passion for me and and i enjoy writing about it uh on the side and um you know so yeah that's that's basically my story on sort of both fronts there so so where does
0: hockey come from
2: though well hockey comes from when I was 8 years old I uh, I was actually born uh, in Montreal so uh when I was 8 uh that was during the Canadians late 70s dynasty and uh you know it was just so easy as, as a young boy to to um, you know fall in love with hockey and um, you know that that's that's where it all started for me um and you know it's just been a it's just been a lifelong love ever since and really from the start too, I've always been fascinated with the history um you know I I had books uh lying around at that age that you know chronicled the whole history of the Stanley Cup and uh you know I just I just gazed at these pictures black and white pictures of uh, the teams back in the day and uh, and, and just uh, you know, I just had sort of a, a natural interest in it, and um, you know, it's just carried through for for uh, for my whole life. And uh, you know, I, when I was, I think I was eight, uh, I actually went to my first hockey game at the Montreal Forum, and uh, you know, the the atmosphere was just absolutely electric, and uh, you know, just took my you know nascent interest in the game to to a higher level and uh and uh, you know it's just been a fascination ever since so yeah, well you know it's also interesting too
0: i mean you're you're born in in uh where you're raised in in quebec right and um in some respects obviously that's partially birthright right because that's kind of the way it is you're an American, you're american you're a canadian citizen and uh and and even more proudly uh, a member of the provence of uh, of quebec right and but it's it's interesting that you attach yourself to, and luckily so, right? The cathedral that is, um, the the palace, if you will, that uh, that Montreal, the Canadians are playing in. But uh, it's also interesting too. I mean, it's not like you affixed yourself to the Expos, right? Which happen to also be in town, right? You be a baseball fan, right? I guess <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to sort of get suss out. I mean, is it how much of your your interest in hockey you think was birthright, and just like it just is versus just you happen to go to a hockey game maybe first or what most memorably versus say other things that could have caught your attention at that time.
2: Yeah. Well, um, like hockey was the first sport. And it's funny you mentioned the Expos because, uh, uh, you know, a couple years after I first got into hockey, actually in 1979, the Expos had their first uh, contending season. And, um, I mean, I remember that summer distinctly, and the the town, the whole city, the whole region was just uh, exposed crazy. Um, You know, because they'd been around for 10 years before then and never really seriously contended. Uh, But that year was when everything sort of came together, and, uh, you know, they narrowly lost out to the pirates in that. in that tenant race i think it came down to the last weekend and uh you know what really one of the i guess the first heartbreak of of all of us expos fans but um no i mean i was just a sports nut really um and and baseball sort of came a couple years later but hockey was my my first love and you know it's uh i guess it always has been and it was at that time hockey is the number one sport there, and. Um, you know, all my friends were into it, and uh, we were trading hockey cards, and it was just just ingrained in our in our way of life and our thinking. Uh, you know, literally dreaming about the game, and and you know, we played. Me and my friends played, uh, not at a high level, but uh, you know, there was that. Um, but no, in general, I, I was just I just became you know a sports nut. I mean. And this will be near and dear to your heart. I mean, I, I can remember going to see the Montreal Manic play soccer at uh, the Big O uh, with uh, there was a time when you know the Big O was packed for for manic games. And you know these are what these are memories going back forty years, but they're that distinctive because um, Montreal is just a great sports town. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I was I was into everything. I had a couple older brothers who were into sports and, um, you know, they introduced me to uh, different sports, everything from watching Wimbledon, you know, to watching the World Cup and and all of that. So, you know, but, you know, through all of that, hockey uh, was definitely number one in my heart.
0: Uh, Montreal is a great town. Generally, uh, my uh, my niece uh, is yeah. a graduate of McGill, and and we, uh, especially in the summertime, it's just it's it's a, it's a, it's beautiful. It's a great it's a great city. It's very full of of life and uh, and um, joie de vivre, and it's got a, a very s- a strong uh, international sort of uh, current running through it. But um, le manique de Montreal, the first time I think we've even talked about this franchise. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for that excuse. I yeah, it's interesting. I even found out um, years ago it was a fascinating thing. Like what what is this? I mean, from an American perspective, what is this manic thing? Right, they're constantly playing like without <laughs> uh, any sense of, uh, of of sensibility and that kind of stuff. Um, apparently, it was. Uh, I think it was sort of a reference to, I guess, a large hydroelectric uh, 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 plant uh, uh, nearby that uh, I guess sort of harnessed water into energy or something like that. I I think that was the story that I sort of heard.
2: I I wouldn't be surprised. I I haven't heard that, but um, you've probably delved into their history more than I have, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I'm looking for excuses (laughs) by all means. So, all right. So, but okay. The hockey thing for, for me. So of all the hockey stories, right? Aside from the Pittsburgh Penguins, which is a pretty good story in and of itself, lots of wrinkles to that one for sure. Uh, as we've mm-hmm. talked about uh, on numerous occasions, why this particular six-year little saga, this little niche of, uh, frankly, one of the more forgotten entries in NHL pro history?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and um, um, I, well, part of my you know if, if if hockey history is my you know main sort of overarching interest, you know uh, one of the biggest subsets of that for me is my interest in. Um, teams that are no longer around or, or have, you know, moved or, you know, relocated defunct um, all of that. And also, you know, very closely related. I I just, I'm interested in sort of bad teams and and their stories because I feel that, and I always have been, um, I just feel that, you know, there's the stories of the championships and the heroes and, and, uh, all of that is great, and I and I love reading about that too. But some of the funniest stories come from these teams, like the Rockies, like the Seals, like the Barons. Um, just these outlandish stories of, you know, not only the the the, the play on the ice, um, but and the frustrations that 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 the players felt from that. Which you know, uh, looking back on it, can you know you can look at it sort of with a laugh and, 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 a and, a you know, sympathy for the players who had to endure these massive losing and winless streaks and whatnot. But, um, you know, also the business side of it. And I know you've covered a lot of this territory on your podcast, but, you know, just these these fights for financial survival for a lot of these teams. And, you know, like the, you know, the NHL having to actually take over ownership of a team like the California Golden Seals uh, or the Seals being owned by Charlie Finley and his white skates uh, mandate, uh, the Cleveland Barons, you know, almost going out of business mid-season in their—I think it was their second season, maybe their first—and um, having to be bailed out by the NHL. Like, and and you know, the, the aforementioned Penguins—they uh, also were uh, for a time uh, early in their history owned by the league. Of course, they're still around. Uh, but you know, just these tales—I uh, find them fascinating. I find them funny. I find them just so entertaining. So. You know, that's it's sort of like this massive subset of my interest in, in hockey sort of veers towards that. And the Rockies um, are, a, are a prime example of one of these teams. And um, another big reason for that motivated me to write this was, uh, you know, the other factor that you mentioned there, the, the, the word forgotten. Um, the Rockies in particular, I think, have really been forgotten um, for a number of reasons. Uh, it has been 41 years since they last took to the ice, so that's a factor. Um, but you know, and, and they weren't good. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, they played for six seasons. Incredibly, Tim, three of those years they finished dead last in the NHL standings. Okay, so um, you know, uh, the the casual fan uh, tends not to remember teams that performed that poorly. So, you know, there's that factor. Um, but there's also, of course, the the lack of recognition that they've got from uh, the devils over the years, uh, and also to a certain extent, and you know the the, the avalanche who can be uh, forgiven, I think, uh, to to a much larger degree for for not you know doing a lot of Rockies celebration. But actually, I think that the the avalanche have done a, a decent job of remembering the Rockies and sort of celebrating them. They had a night in twenty fifteen where they honored uh the Rockies in a pregame ceremony and they brought back i think it was seven ex players including lanny mcdonald um you know who's really uh the face of the franchise um but the you know uh beyond that there hasn't been a lot uh, and the devils you know the devils have throughout their history have just done everything possible to to separate themselves from, from the Rockies. And on one hand, I can sort of understand, I mean, um, you know, they came to New Jersey in 82, they wanted a fresh start. They wanted to sort of leave that sordid history of the scouts and Rockies behind them and, and start uh, a new, um, you know, to, to the extent where, um, I mean, even if you look at the, the media guide today of the, of the devils, like they don't even, they don't really recognize anything pre-1982. Uh, all the records start in '82. It, it's pure devils. They do. I, I looked at a recent—I think it was two years ago—I was looking at their media guide. They do. They do devote one page to the franchise as it existed um, before um, Jersey. Uh, you know, one page out of—I don't know. You know, these things are massive these days. So let's say about 300 pages um there's you know there's nothing in the arena as far as i know there's no banners hanging there's no um you know a plaque in, in a in a rotunda um there's but you know there's really nothing and as i say i mean i can sort of understand it in the early days they wanted the fresh start they wanted the clean break um but you know i think over the years um you know hey it's it's time to sort of recognize your heritage i think that would be nice and So, you know, with that whole picture in place, I mean, the Rockies, um, the Rockies have largely been forgotten. And I just, I didn't think that was right. I, uh, you know, the Rockies, I do remember them playing. They were, um, when they moved to New Jersey, I was 13. So, you know, the six years that they actually existed pretty much coincided with that, that uh, magical time of, of childhood when you're just discovering a sport and, um, you know, the Rockies the, the Rockies were a big part of that picture, even though they, they weren't competitive. And um, also, like, back in those days, especially, you know, living in, in Montreal, we hardly ever even saw the Rockies on TV. We'd maybe get one or two of their games when they happened to, to, to come into the forum on a Saturday night and they were on hockey night in Canada. Uh, you'd actually get to see these players and these uniforms and everything actually, you know, living color which was always a thrill um but uh you know they they nevertheless the rockies were still part of the nhl picture and um you know we'd get their hockey cards we'd we'd see pictures of them here and there and they, there was always this sort of curiosity like what is it about this team you know whenever you would look at the standings they're either in second last or dead last most of the time and Uh, You sort of regarded them as a bit of a joke, but there was still also this fascination with them because, you know, at that age, anything hockey was of interest to me. Yeah. I think think
0: it's also sports generally. There's always an exotic, an exotic feel to them. Right. I mean, you have to remember this is in a media realm where there was you know, not as many, nearly as many choices as there were in the ability to kind of see just about anything you want. Right, I mean, it's like yeah. basketball cards with the uh, San Diego Conquistadors, right? Like you knew of them, <laughs> right? Uh, but you you, ne- you ever really saw them? And occasionally, you saw them in the agate you know, section of the of the newspaper and stuff too. You mentioned to the Avalanche. I mean, I think that's interesting. Uh, we we often get into that sort of like, where do these uh, forgotten teams, shall we say, that are distinctly Uh, and statistically part of a team's – current team's lineage, right? Where do those uh, memories and or reminiscences and or at least let's call them acknowledgements uh, live, right? And, you know, I think the the avalanche, I mean, arguably the fact that they incorporate, um, you know, a Colorado Rockies memory or a logo once in a while, I mean, is is doubly admirable because they also have to bear the burden of carrying on the lineage of the uh, original Quebec Nordiques, Right. Um, WHL, W-H- so. right so the avalanche are this kind of like weird nexus of hockey in uh in the area and i you know from a marketing perspective it's almost uh it's kind of a no-brainer and frankly shouldn't it should be a no-brainer because um you know the, there are certain love there's there's stuff to be mined if you will in that sort of past history and stuff and and the, you know, the nhl in particular right there, there's not a logo or a Yeah. Or pro sports generally. Right. That that is not um, marketable and or um, monetizable. Right. So and you saw that Mm -hmm. with with the Avalanche's uh, various uh, playoff exploits over the the years. You will see more than one Quebec Nordiques uniform in there. And it's sort of almost like the secret code if you don't know the inside story. Um, But at least they embrace both of their. Uh, uh, oddly related uh, backgrounds, so to speak. So you got to give them props versus, say, a team like the Devils, which ironically has the official history that they could be leveraging.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, they, they are the official owners. I mean, that's the franchise. Um, you know, I... Uh, I mean I think the avalanche have as you say I think they've done a really admirable job and and you know I actually at one point near the end uh, of the book <laughs> I I'm talk I talk about the uniforms and and I, and I make the point that it's probably only a matter of time before we do see the Rockies and I will call them glorious personally in my humble opinion <laughs> I think they're glorious uniforms I love them and um I think it's only a matter of time before we actually see them again uh, in use in an NHL game, whether it's the Devils or the Avalanche, for the simple reason that there is there's money to be made, um, and uh, you know whoever you know whoever gets that light bulb going on over their heads um, eventually stands to gain. I think um, some some good uh, bit of pocket change because um, you know it's it's a type of thing where you know the casual fan probably has never even seen the Rockies uniforms. If they did see them, they'd probably be intrigued. They'd probably be like, Oh, you know, this is, let's say it's the devils. They'd probably think, well, you know, this is part of the devil's history. Uh, Tell me more. And, Oh, uh, I want to get one of those jerseys. Um, so I do think it's probably only a matter of time, and there's a bit of a precedent, recent precedent there, uh, with with the Hartford Whalers uniforms being uh, used by the Carolina Hurricanes, which I think is my sense is it's a little controversial, um, particularly. No, it's a, it's, a,
0: it's a lot uh, controversial.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it's probably a tough pill to swallow to see that, and and I would I would say it's probably the same feeling that um, quebec nordique fans feel when they they, they see the the uniforms uh in, in use in colorado um i think that there's a genuine sense my my, my feeling is in colorado there's, there's a genuine sense to celebrate uh that that part of the history it is in the media guides it's it's part of the official record um but still i think it's tough and and i think uh it, it, it's tough for the Whalers fans to see it. And um, you know, it does seem that the the hurricanes use of that is very much a sort of a modern uh you know twenty first century uh merchandising plan to uh to exploit that—that's just my own sense, but well, give us—you know—if give us a verbal sense mm.
0: of, of these uniforms, right? We'll certainly have uh, pictures and stuff. We've done it in the past, of because this is—you know—if you look at sort of the history, you look at uh, sort of the 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 statistics and the and the um, uh, all the information, sort of about this team. This is a team that um, uh, arguably had four primary colors to their uniforms right which is like <laughs> a, not, not two not three which is you know and this is we're not talking alternatives so to speak which is like the way people you know third and fourth kits and stuff like in soccer but you know they have four main colors um maybe you can sort of verbally describe it and uh, and by the way this is also maybe a, a quick little promotional uh tip to our friends at royalretros.com promo code seats for 10 percent off um they've got a tremendous assortment of these uh, these jerseys, both uh, both versions, by the way, of the Colorado Rockies, and they're, they are gorgeous, right? The white ones, you know, have the the colors that pop, and then the uh, and the darker ones, which are um, just they're they're yeah they're lush. They do stand out, even even by comparison to some of the uniforms of the, of that time as well as now.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and an interesting thing about the Rockies jerseys is that they um, although they looked different. Um, design-wise from their predecessors, the Kansas City Scouts, um, they retained basically the the color scheme, which is, um, uh, you know, the the darker uniforms, the ones they wore on the road, uh, you know, predominantly blue, sort of a dark blue, um, with uh, red and gold accents, um, you know, around the waist and uh, the arms, the lettering and the numbers um, sort of incorporated, and then there's, there's a little bit of white in there as well. So yeah, four colors. Um, the nice thing I really think about the Rockies is, um, uh, it, you know, some people might think it, it's a little gaudy, it's 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 a little loud, and uh, you know maybe it is, but uh, I think they they've used the four colors in in the right proportions. Uh, to create sort of a really vibrant look that that you just can't turn away from it. It just even if you look at them on an old hockey card, I mean they they stand out. And uh, I think it was a really um, you know it was it was a strong point for the franchise uh, for the team. And they didn't have a lot of strong points, but but they definitely got the uniforms right. And complementing it was the logo. The logo is, uh, you know, of course, it's it's a it's an outline of a mountain with uh, the Colorado C from the uh, the Colorado state flag right in the middle. And if you look at the Colorado state flag, it has the the exact same colors as as the Rockies uniform. So they're really paying homage to the uh, to the area, to the state, and that's a. That's you know whether it was intentional or not, and I'm guessing it was back in the day. That's a pretty smart marketing move because you you, you're bringing in that instant sort of um, you know uh, relation feeling that fans would have with 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 the team and a bit of a state pride factor there. So, but all that aside, um, the logo is just crisp. It's clean. It it it's clear what this team is about and what they're representing. So. so, I, you know, I just think they're, I think they play really well in this whole nostalgia market today. And and the white ones are really nice, too. I do tend to like the, the dark ones a bit more. But, you know, this is all subjective, right? Um, but I will tell you one more thing about the uniforms. It um, it seemed like at least half of the people I interviewed for this book, including a few of the players, unprompted um, mentioned the uniforms and, and how this is what um a lot of people who were part of the the organization or 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 you know at least went to games as a fan. this is what they hear about this is what they're still talking about the uniforms <laughs> and uh personally i I can see why and uh you know it just it further cements that idea that hey there is some money to be made off of these uh in, in the modern day, so we'll see
0: well all right so so give me a sense of i mean the the, the fact that this this franchise was um Just its very um, birth, shall we say, or or coming into existence, uh, was so convoluted um, in the first place. The things that were happening before this franchise actually got relocated from Kansas City. I mean, we've devoted a couple of episodes already to the Kansas City Scouts version of the, let's call it the beginning. But, um, I mean, how does this franchise actually make its way to Denver, um, given the success of a CHL team and... You know, also against the backdrop, I guess, of of we still had two leagues kind of competing for each other, right? And and the WHA, uh, you know, saw Denver as a marketable opportunity too, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the starting point is to look at the 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 the, the last days of the Kansas City Scouts, and um, you know, it was as you have covered. I mean, it was just an outright disaster on the ice and off the ice but the pertinent point is really the, uh, the the financial picture of the scouts uh they were owned by a conglomerate of i think it was 22 different owners none of whom were you know seriously deep pocketed um and there was just a con- constant struggle uh financially to to you know pay the bills and 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 you know further than that like sink money in and be prepared to lose money for two, three, five years, whatever it might have taken to actually establish the team in Kansas City. And it was so bad that the NHL, after two short years, realized they'd made a massive mistake and they wanted out of Kansas City. Um, and, and fortunately for them, a guy named Jack Vickers, who was a, a oil a baron in, um, in Colorado, uh, teamed up with a, a guy named Bud Palmer, who was a, a noted sportscaster. And who had moved uh, to Colorado and is familiar with the the area. These two guys wanted to get uh, an NHL franchise. Why? I'm not really sure, uh, but they did. And um, they actually had made up a, a play to buy the California Golden Seals in 1975, which didn't end up uh, panning out. But then, you know, they understood. They got wind of the situation happening in Kansas City, swooped in um agreed to buy the team and the NHL uh, brass was probably you know saying hallelujah um it's yours you know and <laughs> there was actually an attempt by the uh, a few of the leading Kansas City uh, uh, ownership group to try to retain um ownership of it and the NHL basically gave them an ultimatum you either sell to Jack Vickers and company or uh, we're going to dissolve the franchise and leave you with about a four million dollar debt. So um, you know it's sort of like holding the gun to their head there. Uh, that's how bad the NHL wanted out of this situation. So Jack Vickers uh, you know gets control of the team very late in the summer of 1976. They had about a roughly a month to move the team uh, over to to Denver. And an interesting note, this team, Uh, had finished the 1975-76 season by setting a new NHL record for longest winless streak at 27 games. And in fact, that's how I opened the book. It starts with a description of that last game, which was played at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver, a 5-2 loss to the Canucks the 27th straight time they had left the ice winless. This was the team... (laughs) That uh, that Vickers was buying, and so they have to move the team. They have to, you know, basically clear house. They had to find a new coach, um, a, a new GM, try to start marketing this team. All of this, um, and you know, to their credit, they pulled it off. They were ready. Uh, October fifth, nineteen seventy-six, the Rockies played their first game against uh, Toronto at home, and they actually won. Doug Favell, the goalie, uh, an ex-Maple Leaf, uh, who had a bit of a grudge against the Leafs at that point um, for having, I think, been benched and uh, you know not seen a lot of playing time the previous season, came in, stood on his head, got the Rockies, their, their first win in their first game, and, and in the process ended this horrible franchise uh, losing uh, winless streak. And um, so that's, that's the story of the transition to Colorado.
0: Um, part of it's also though the, the the fact that there was a brand new arena, right? Uh, the McNichols uh, Sports yep. Arena, which is very interesting because that, that it's an arena that even by today's um, disposable stadium standards uh, only lasted uh, fully twenty five years. But I think its useful life was only like maybe twenty three or twenty four seasons. Um, but but it was coming online yep. uh, roughly at the same time that this scouts team was having its issues. So I guess it was a, a especially appealing because, in essence, because of the um, uh, the then ABA uh, Nuggets, right, were still there, and the, and the CHL team and the WHA team for for a couple of cups of coffee before they decided to abscond to uh, to Ottawa to make room for this NHL <laughs> version of franchise. Um, it doesn't hurt to have a stadium already ready to go, Right.
2: No, no, it was a huge advantage, and, and you know, probably, um, you know, it, it, I mean, you think if, if that's not in place, do, do Vickers and Palmer really uh, make this effort? Uh, you know, probably not, because there were no real other options in Denver. There was an old uh, arena that the um, the Denver Spurs, who, you know, existed in, in various forms, uh, they used to play in a The Western Hockey League, I believe, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, they played out of an old arena there, which was just not up to NHL standards of the day. So, you're absolutely right. It 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 was a huge selling point, and uh, you know it was a great, um, you know, great thing for this franchise to have in place. The only problem was was that they could never really fill it. (laughs) Um, I think they had the Rockies had. Throughout their six-year stay, they had, uh, uh, I think it was seven sellouts. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: so, but, uh, is, but the, it was clear though that this is a market that was, um, perhaps, overdue for hockey. I know it, it, it existed at a fairly decent level, you know, on the minor league level. But I mean, you look today, like Colorado and Winter Sports and all that kind of stuff. It just, it just seems so. By 1976 or so, you you think that that, that this market would have been fully tapped. Although, you know, looking back at the NHL's expansion life, right? I mean, they really didn't sort of get expansion an expansion Jones until the late 60s, right? Which itself was perhaps many years overdue given all the other sports sort of discovering the West. Um, how were they how were they taken to by the fans, would you say? Besides the forgetting the state of their their quality of play, if you will, on the on the ice. W- was this a market that was rapidly interested in in having an NHL franchise cuz Six seasons didn't seem like too much.
2: No, no, I wouldn't say rabid. Um, I think that uh, I think the market was ready um, if they had a more competitive team. I think there's a good chance the Rockies might even still be there today. Uh, you know, the population, I believe, was like about 1.2 million, and it was growing. Um, it was really transitioning to, to a very modern city. and and growing like uh, so so the you know the platform was there for success Um, they did have a couple you know um, things going against them in the market at that time one was um, you know their arrival just happened to coincide with the Denver Broncos um, you know finally putting their act together and becoming a contender Uh, the first the first year the Rockies were there, um, the Broncos had a winning season, I think, for the first time in a very long time. And the second season, they went all the way to the Super Bowl, you know. And 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 by the way, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Oakland Raiders, uh, you know. And we're talking mid '70s Steelers and Raiders to get to the Super Bowl, which which they lost, but nevertheless uh you know Broncomania was just running wild in in Colorado at the time, and you know the poor Rockies come into town and and they have to compete with that and of course you, you mentioned the nuggets you know the nuggets uh, were were a competitor too um so so there was that uh, but there was also um you know the the the, the w h a version of the Spurs had left somewhat of a bad feeling uh in the town when it came to professional hockey um you know you mentioned that they they did move to ottawa and become the the ottawa civics which you know lasted for i think all of about two weeks and the denver spurs in the wha only lasted uh you know i think three months before the owner ivan mullenix decided that he just wanted to get out as fast as possible and brokered this deal with an Ottawa group and and, and basically moved the team in the middle of the night, which it even came as a surprise to the players. They were on a road trip and, uh, you know, they found out on this road trip that they weren't going to be going back to Denver. They were going to Ottawa. And, uh, you know, just these crazy um, 70s hockey stories. But the upshot of that was that uh, although the, the interest in the Spurs had not been you know, huge cause they didn't perform very well on the ice either. Um, you know, it, it, nevertheless, I mean, it, it was not a good, uh, mark to leave on the hockey scene in Denver. And, you know, so shortly thereafter, the Rockies arrive and, you know, I, I wasn't there. I don't know. Uh, but the sense I got from my research was that there was, um, you know maybe a little bit of trepidation almost like uh, okay well you know prove to me that you're going to be around in a year uh prove to me that uh you know me putting down money for a for a season ticket is is going to be worth it because the last guy you know got out of dodge in the middle of the night kind of thing so so that was a disadvantage uh but all that said i would say that um, if the Rockies had just played 500 hockey, I think they would have attracted enough um, uh, interest and attend- attendees to, you know make it much more of a stable franchise and uh, more of a viable go for the owners.
0: All right, what's this? Game time? Fantastic. Hey, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can snag the tickets without the stress with the Game Time app. And I will tell you, the Game Time app has gotten me out of a couple of jams on more than a few occasions. I'll tell you, a couple of weeks back, I travel fairly often for work. I was stuck in New York. I had uh, dinner plans fall through uh, during a business trip, I was leaving the next morning. Uh, but had some time on my hands. And what's a sports guy like me to do? Well, scouring around to see if there are any events going on. And sure enough, the Knicks were playing the Nets at home at the world's most famous arena. So about an hour before the game, I fired up the game time app and uh, found a decently priced ticket. I won't tell you what (laughs) the people around me paid for their ticket, but it certainly wasn't nearly as expensive as theirs. And I got to watch the Knicks uh, uh, in a rare uh, moment of... uh, uh, amazingness uh, kick the snot out of the nets uh, but at that's a uh, game time is uh, the place uh, to get your last minute tickets uh, they've got a tremendous set of deals flash deals they call them uh, and last minute tickets uh, they're easy to find and buy uh, for just about every kind of event you want sports and entertainment and music that kind of stuff the images the seat views are just perfect they're great that's that's always like the the big uh, conundrum when you're looking at a uh Uh, a seating chart you have no idea where you're going to be what your view is going to be like and game time's got uh, probably the best imagery that i've seen of any of the uh, ticket sites out there and of course they've got a lowest price guarantee including event cancellation protection so you know you're going to be covered in case as a matter of fact that the game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price and if you find tickets in the same section uh, and row for less Game Time will credit you 110 percent of the difference. Uh, don't believe me? Try it for yourself. Download the Game Time app now, create an account, and then on us use the code Good Seats for twenty dollars off of your first purchase. Again, that's the Game Time app, and uh, it's also uh, you can check them also out at GameTime.co. Uh, But get the app, download the app now, create an account, and use the code GOODSEATS for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply for sure. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. It's game time. Thank you, Game Time, for your sponsorship of this week's episode. And now, back to our conversation. instability seemed to be a hallmark of this team i mean the the founding of this team we'll get to it in a few minutes the departure of this team the interim ownerships plural of this team i mean uh you know it's it's amazing frankly that they actually made the playoffs one of these six years barely by two points. Right. But, uh, and when the NHL was a little bit more, shall we say uh, ridiculous in terms of how many teams made and didn't make the playoffs. But um, I, you know, this is, we're talking about like, you know, in the four, four years of its initial, you know, of, of, its initial, of it's only six, it's seven coaches. Right. Um, yes. And I think yes. the ownership changed at least twice during that period of time. And, and there were a few other, trading of 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 hands and ownership on the way out as well so yeah i it, this is a franchise that i probably uh in led the nhl uh history books in uh instability
1: vibes
2: yeah yeah uh, technically they they had four ownership groups if we want to um, include John McMullen who was the the guy who bought them um, after the sixth season had finished and immediately moved them to New Jersey but there were you know the, the three primary ownership groups and n- none of them uh, really seemed interested in making that commitment to the market you know primarily a financial commitment. I think anybody who bought this team going into it was probably going to have to accept the fact that they were going to lose some money for <laughs> for a few years uh, because the, the roster was threadbare of talent. There was no depth. Um, the team, you know, was going to be bad for a few years, as many expansion teams were back then. Um, and it's just, you know, none of them... Seem to fully grasp that and be committed to, to to, to moving uh, to uh, to to keeping them there. In fact, this hilarious story. The second ownership group, um, Arthur Imperator, who was uh, from New Jersey, uh, a trucking magnate, um, and his stepson Armand Pohan, were uh, the second ownership group. And when they initially announced that they wanted to buy the Rockies, they made it absolutely clear that their intention was to immediately move the team to uh, the New York, New Jersey area uh, because the Brendan Byrne Arena was officially under construction and slated to open in 1980. So this was 1978 when they bought the team. So within two years, this new sparkling arena in Imperator's backyard was scheduled to, to, to open he announced this before he bought the team. He announced this uh, was his intention. And what they were going to do was move the team immediately, have them play out of Madison square garden for however many years it would take before the, the Brendan Byrne arena was going to be ready and then move into, to the Byrne arena and, uh, take up full-time residency in New Jersey. Well, the NHL did not take kindly to this, uh, this plan. And, um, you know, basically said, um, you know, if you want to buy this team, you've got to keep them in Colorado at least for a little while and make a go of it. And they, um, you know, they realized that that was the way they were going to get ownership of the team. And so they, they, you know, agreed to that term. And um, I think they did really make a a good effort, probably the best effort of the three major ownership groups to really make the the team a success um, in Colorado. And they did seem to be committed to it. But there was also, you know, they never totally got away from the idea uh, of moving the team to New Jersey. It was never totally refuted. And uh, it was always sort of uh, existing in the background. I, I I like to think it's like the, the Brendan Byrne Arena was almost like the Colorado Rockies Death Star under construction. It was <laughs> it was there, half built, looming, uh, as a as a threat for the uh, you know uh, the the, the uh, blowing away of the Rockies and and that's not just for this ownership group the the next one Peter Gilbert also was you know quite intent on moving them into this arena in New Jersey um, so so there was that whole um, background and you know they. This is this is the type of ownership group that, that uh, the Rockies had. And not to mention that none of them were from Colorado, except for Vickers originally. But, you know, these well, absentee it was owners. Vickers, I think it was yeah.
0: Vickers' uh, 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 you know, other businesses. I, I mean, this was sort of playing out actually in the foreground, too. You're, we're mentioning as background, like sort of this is sort of. But that instability was, was hard to sort of kind of cover over when, you know, Vickers was having trouble paying. You know, for the lease at McNichols. This is back in '78, right? It's not even yep. two seasons into mm-hmm. th- their life as, as as the Rockies, right? So, you know, from in some respects, I, I think I mean the, the the attentive fan probably was aware that you know two three seasons into this thing, they were already you know sending various forms of signals that unstable number one uh, or un- un- unstable uh, sh- shifting of management's number two. And number three, sort of all these sort of rumors sort of hanging over there. And I, I guess I wonder where the NHL was in all of this, because from all the stuff that I've read in your book and, and some of the other research that I've done over over time, it seems like the NHL, John Ziegler at the time, not necessarily the most, uh, uh, I don't want to say trustworthy, but, but always, you know, brickbats thrown at him for, for various reasons, and sometimes rightly so. Um, it doesn't seem like that... Um, it seems like the NHL was very keen on trying to keep this franchise there and and projecting some level of stability. Yet yet it wasn't. And uh, to your point, very I, even Don Cherry, right, who was we'll talk about in a second. You know, uh, from a, from a promotional point of view great, but uh, it's if I'm a fan, if I'm if I'm the sports media, I mean, some of my first questions are before I plunk down money or cover the team is what the hell's going on with this team? <laughs>
2: Well, I think you've accurately portrayed the NHL's uh, approach to the Rockies and probably a lot of other um, of the newer teams at that time, the expansion teams. Um, They really, when you look at the evidence, the NHL uh, did the Rockies no favors and they did the scouts no favors and they did most of the expansion teams uh who came in 67 and after uh, no favors and there's no clearer uh evidence of that than the <laughs> the expansion draft of 1972 for the Kansas City Scouts um in which you know basically the NHL was saying sure come on into our league give us your 6 million dollars a piece and oh by the way we're going to give you nothing but the scraps from the rest of our teams. <laughs> um, you know, if you look at the expansion draft who, who the scouts have to choose from, I mean, they had maybe two players who, who anybody, you know, would say that's really top NHL caliber. They had Michelle Plass in goal and they had Simone Nollet, who was a, a really good forward and it just won a Stanley cup with the flyers. But, um you know the point is is the NHL really put the scouts and uh, even worse the, the the Washington Capitals behind the eight ball by just not allowing them to to build um, a really viable competitive NHL level team and this isn't to denigrate the players that actually filled out those rosters because in the grand scheme of things all of these guys were incredible hockey players and if I was to go onto to the ice against them back in the day I'd be you know blown away by their talent and, and whatnot but were they able to compete with the Montreal Canadiens, the Philadelphia Flyers, even the Los Angeles Kings or the Vancouver Canucks? They weren't and the NHL's fault um, was not recognizing the benefit of allowing these teams to have a piece of the, of the talent pie and allowing them to establish themselves it's, you know, it's hindsight, and and you know, it, we're looking back. It was a different era. It was a different world. It was very tightly controlled by a small group of of of, of leaders, uh, Ziegler, Clarence Campbell, etc. And um, you know, they just didn't throw these teams a bone and allow them to have some success. You know, you had the Montreal Canadiens just stocked with talent to the point where they're Minor league team probably could have, you know, finished near the middle of the pack in the NHL, uh, versus expansion teams like the Rockies and the Scouts and the Barons. Um, so, to answer your question, that's where the NHL was. The NHL, you know, would 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 say a lot of times they'd say the right things. were committed to Colorado or Oakland or whatever. But you look at the evidence; they weren't giving them any helping hands. And look at the disasters that resulted. I mean, the Washington Capitals, their first season, they—it's um, they, a record that still stands. The, the you know the the, the the fewest points in an NHL season. They got 21 points in 80 games. And I've done some research about that team as well. And yeah, you can look at them and, and they're sort of you know held up as like the worst team ever and, and all of this, but you really got a feel for these for these uh, players and the management because they had absolutely nothing to work with and then that's the nhl's fault back then um
0: from your uh interviews and stuff can, can, any um any particular people or or um zany situations that kind of stuck out in these six years I mean, we mentioned don cherry <laughs> which is you know who is he's just a walking uh conundrum uh if you will and, and bombastic and uh, personality driven. And he was, you know, part of the, he was running the club for a little while on the, uh, behind the bench. Um, I'm sure he's one of, of a handful of folks that kind of stuck out in your mind in terms of um, needing to be remembered for their, their year or their time, if you will, with the, with the Rockies franchise.
2: Yeah, there, there were quite a few, um, you know, I mean, Sherry, um, the thing about Sherry was, you know, his performance during that year or his, his tenure Um although colorful and, and in many ways, a, 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 a big, um, uh, you know, advantage for the Rockies. Uh, it was not too surprising, you know, like Don, Jerry had, had established themselves as a very colorful outspoken, uh, figure in hockey during his time coaching the Bruins. So I think we knew what we were getting with, with, with Don Cherry. So um, I don't think most people thought it was going to go up in flames as soon as it, uh, it did. He was only there for the one season. But, you know, he he um, he, he he wasn't so much of a surprise. I think uh, some of the more crazier things that come to mind that, that you know, uh, are maybe a little bit more buried in the history are just some incidents and, and maybe some other people as well like uh you know the the Rockies are, are the only team that uh, had to uh, had to uh witness the firing of a goal judge during a game at their home arena um <laughs> i i the uh there was a goal judge who had uh, three separate incidents during a game where he was sort of favoring the home team by uh, not turning the light on when when the opponent scored, and uh, turning it on when the Rockies, in fact, hadn't scored, and it got so bad that, that the referee had to actually remove him from the team and bring in somebody else. Like things like this were happening. Of course, there was Crazy George, who I know you've interviewed. Uh, he's sort of a defining figure of, of Rocky hockey. You know, he he uh, you know brought his antics to McNichols and and really uh you know did everything he could to energize the you know what were often you know really small crowds and uh you know so he's sort of part of the legacy they they had these crazy uh, promotional nights they were sort of famous for introducing the 10 cent beer night in the NHL I don't know if any other team actually did it as well but you know uh 10 cent beer nights uh those the were usually some of the highest for obvious reasons um, there was a, a, a goalie who trashed the Rockies dressing room after being pulled uh, after the first period in a game that they had lost in Chicago 10 nothing uh, just went absolutely berserk um, and you know there's other there's other incidents that are just so rocky hockey and and one of them one of the most uh, you know the hardest, wrap your head around is in in their last season uh, their coach at the time Billy McMillan uh, who sorry he had coached the Rockies in their second last season to a uh, second last overall finish well he gets promoted to GM Uh, (laughs) um, you know most organizations are not going to make that move they're probably going to fire the guy uh, but in Rocky Hockey Land, the craziness that it was, you know, he got promoted. And at the same time, they had an assistant coach by the name of Terry Harper, who was a you know a veteran NHLer, had won multiple cups with the Canadians, a highly respected figure. And he had done a fabulous job in that second last season, particularly working with a, a very young defense corps and molding them into, uh, you know, uh, you know, competitive, respectable kind of uh, group of defensemen, and well liked by the players. Well, he gets fired, <laughs> while McMillan gets promoted to GM. So, just these highly illogical and and, and crazy incidents that that sort of happens, you know, across the the six-year span. There's quite a few of them. Did it? Were any of the memories fond?
0: Uh, from former players and people you talked to? Um, uh, was there any sort of uh, a silver lining to their memories, or were they all sort of horrific and, like, what was I doing?
2: <laughs> no, there were silver linings, and um, I think the one the, the one real positive thing that comes out of the Rocky story, and, and this was echoed by every player I talked to, um, and it's often you saw it in the contemporary reports about the team and in various hockey magazines and even some game reports. The the roster was never uh, rich in talent. It was never very deep. They'd have, you know, one, two, maybe three really good players who could be, you know, potential all-stars. And, and, you know, the rest was sort of mediocre or, or, you know, guys that shouldn't have been in the NHL. But, for whatever reason, particularly the, the first five years of their existence, um, the Rockies were known as a team that gave it their all. They they were never short on effort, and um, you know you really had to feel for them because there's a lot of games where they lost one goal games, where they're just giving it all for 60 minutes. But they didn't have that one player who could maybe make the difference or, you know, get them that tying goal or or, or make that great save uh, when they needed it. And oftentimes that was, you know, the difference between winning and losing for them. And it just goes to show that a lot of hockey teams, uh, you know, bad hockey teams, are sometimes they're only a player or two away from respectability and in a lot of cases, that was uh, the story of the Rockies, and it's a sort of theme that um, that runs through most of their history. The last year, I think, was a bit more of a disaster. There were a lot more blowouts. I don't think the mood was very good, and it partially related to the, um, you know, the obvious signs that the team was not going to be there the following year, and I think that was pretty demoralizing for a lot of players. But the first five years, like... The best example of this, Tim, was when they actually made the playoffs in the 77-78 season. They were, uh, fortunately for them, they were uh, located in the NHL Smythe Division, which was by far and away the worst division, maybe the worst division in NHL history. Um, and under the playoff system at the time, all they had to do was finish uh, somewhere within the top two. There were five teams in the division. And um, despite the, the, you know, the lack of depth and and, and the the dearth of talent, um, they really put together an admirable run down the stretch where they uh, played somewhere close to 500 hockey, which in the Smythe was, you know, phenomenal. (laughs) And they ended up beating out the Vancouver Canucks for the the second uh, place in the Smythe. And that's how they got in. Now, they only had 59 points. Uh, you know, which is uh, obviously not a good record, but it was enough to get in the playoffs. And there was a realization throughout the organization at that time that, hey, if we just get in, if we just get one home playoff game, that could be the difference. That could be, that could show everybody here in this region, you know, the, the electricity of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it might be that spark we need. And the players knew it. The players were under pressure you know they knew that potentially the survival of the team in Denver depended on them getting in the playoffs so you know they weren't they knew they weren't contending for the Stanley Cup but it's almost like it, the level of pressure they probably felt was similar to any team that was heading into the Stanley Cup finals there was a lot at stake and it's really the the one shining moment where the Rockies came through And they did get their one home playoff game. Um, You know, they played back then. It was the first round. uh, It was only a short uh, best two out of three. So they went up against the high-powered Flyers, uh, who were still very much, you know, the Broad Street bully uh, team. They were only three years removed from winning their second straight Stanley Cup. So they were a formidable opponent. And the Rockies really played them tough. They took the first game to overtime. Um, and the, the return game in Denver, uh, you know, they, they lost three to one, but reading about it, you, you realize that they were seriously overmatched and, and, and the Flyers um, sort of showed them who was boss and, and, uh, but nevertheless, I mean, the score was three, one, they got their home playoff game. it, Uh, gave them the chance. It gave them the chance to have that spark to to carry into the next year. And here's another zany story um, from that uh, series. In the first game in Philadelphia televised back to Denver um, Vickers who is still the owner had an intermission interview um, and you know the Rockies had been playing their, you know, playing their guts out, holding the Flyers tight, playing them evenly. You would think that maybe he would comment on on that, uh, but no, he <laughs> mainly used the interview as a platform to rail against the uh, conditions of the lease at McNichols Arena, which were, um, you know. Uh, huge disadvantage for him and rightly so they weren't great uh they, there were problems with the lease but really um <laughs> that's not the time you really want to start bringing that up and to the point where the interview uh you know left the feeling that uh, you know if if the lease was not reworked um you know there was no guarantee that the rockies were going to be back no matter what they did in the playoffs so <laughs> you know just these crazy stories can you imagine that happening today Um, you know in in this tightly controlled you know PR uh, you know uh, controlled environment that the NHL is today It's, it's just it's so wacky
0: well, I mean, especially since the team was still, if you will, fledgling. Uh, you know, it was only a couple of years in in the Denver market. They were sort of they've they made the apex, even though they only won 19, 19 games that season uh, and made the playoffs. I so yeah. think you would you would make better use of that playoff platform to, um, uh, you know, to to kind of uh, bolster sort of the. But I, I, with all due respect, it seems like that's just. A feature, not a bug, of this six-year existence of of this franchise at the time, and and I I don't want to say. I mean, look, it was it was gnarly at the beginning in terms of how they came into being as the Colorado Rockies in Denver. It was a mess on the way out, and I think in between it was no different.
2: No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was just one, you know, one tumultuous chaotic season after another and you know the real chance they had i think to to, to do something with the team in denver was that year uh, when they made the playoffs they, they could claim you know we made the playoffs and use that in your marketing materials uh you know get some more fans out um but that was another thing too the the instability of all of the ownership groups Um, was so prevalent throughout the summers, throughout the off-season, that it was very um, difficult for the team to start, you know, getting a a full-fledged marketing campaign going to really put some effort into attracting um, new season ticket holders. Um, You know, the way a lot of more established and, and stable franchises do they just even back then you know the marketing was part of part of the process you started up at you know in may or whenever it was and you continue and 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 you do what you know you do things properly well the rockies were so in uh, unstable um and just about every off season there was the you know the cloud hanging over them are they going to be back next year and that um you know so the ownership uh, what it was at the time, whichever one was in place, they weren't committed to pouring a ton of money into marketing efforts and building the team uh, because they didn't know uh, whether they were going to be still in Denver themselves owning the team or not. So to your point, yeah, it's just it, that was that was their existence. It was perpetually unstable and unsettled, and you know that that's that's what really a big factor that defined uh, rocky hockey for sure
0: all right well let's talk about and i'll put this word in quotes legacy here um what is that legacy Mm -hmm. and um it did indeed take 13 years until the nhl came back to denver for interesting reasons and by the way we should explore at some point someday with a you know another conversation the the birth of the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, their, their move from Quebec was interesting. And and um, let's put it this way. The Avalanche was not the first name for that franchise when they were brought back. Um, but I, the, <laughs> the 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 um, I, I guess the, the question there is how much or how little did fans care? Um, it did take another decade plus to get hockey back. And it's clear that it's a, it's a very strong market. Maybe now, maybe the demographics have changed. Maybe there's other things have happened as, as more as modernity has, uh, uh you know, uh, taken its toll, so to speak. But, um, but what, what would you sort of, how could you encapsulate to somebody on an elevator who never sort of understood that there was a team like this that existed and is now, you know, part of the history of the New Jersey devils and was the team that preceded Denver and the NHL as a market, um, precede the avalanche um how would you describe their their legacy is there one is it just the jersey and their Mm -hmm. four main colors um and and or why it's important perhaps to remember remember a team like this
2: yeah well the the you know it's been it's been a long time as i said it's 41 years um you know so it's been a long time since they played Nevertheless, I think there there is a legacy, and this is sort of what came out from uh, the interviews and the research I did, is that the one thing you cannot deny the Rockies is that they were the first NHL team in Denver. And in a, in a very large sense, they pioneered NHL hockey in, in Colorado. And, you know, forgetting about their record and forgetting about the turmoil at, at the top, uh, you know, they they were the first team there, and um, they did. Um, I mean, six seasons is not a long time, but it was longer than um, a lot of the other, uh, you know, sort of expansion, sh- shall I say, failures uh, of the era. You know, the Scouts only lasted two years. The Barons lasted two. I mean, if you want to go way back throughout NHL history, you know, there were there were teams that that lasted one, two, three you know, season. So, you know, six seasons is not a lot, but it was something. It was it was probably enough to sort of implant a memory uh, of the Rockies in the market that I think still existed throughout that whole 13-year period, uh, you know, between the Rockies and the Avalanche. And my sense is that a lot of people felt that this market was still ripe for NHL hockey. All they needed was a competitive team, and that that feeling uh, ran through the time that the Rockies were there. Uh, there were, you know, you, I came across a number of quotes, uh, you know, contemporary write-ups about the team was that, you know, if they could just put together something close to a 500 hockey team, what that would have meant was that they would have gone. They would have um, grown the, the the hardcore base that existed. No matter how bad the Rockies were, they were going to have a hardcore base of, you know, it, it's not an exact science, but let's say 6,000 fans who were going to be there and, you know, 4,000 of them were going to come out every night to see them because they loved hockey and they took to the Rockies. The, the, the challenge for the team was to go beyond that and, and attract the, you know, pretty big sports fan in town that maybe didn't know a lot about hockey or, uh, you know, was leaning more towards the Broncos and sort of attract them into into the fold and grow that up to, let's say, a base of 12,000. If you got a base of 12,000 or so, then you've got a fighting chance. But, you know, as we discussed, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why they couldn't attract that next level of base but the feeling was that was that that still existed that 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 potential still existed, and if you know somebody came into town with their act together um, and 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 a much more savvy kind of approach to uh, operating an NHL team, and maybe someone with a bit more deeper pockets and willing to suffered some financial losses that the Rockies ownership groups were not. Um, this could really fly in, in Colorado. So how that relates to the legacy, the Rockies sort of proved that. They, they proved that there was a market there. Um, and if it was done right, the market could succeed. And I think that's um, something that, uh, you know, people who were involved with the team, you uh, could take, can still take some pride in, you know, they, they, they sort of showed that, Hey, there's, there's potential here. And, um, you know, uh, the other thing about the, the Rockies legacy is, and this is, you know, a part of a, it wasn't my initial, um, motivation to write the book. My initial motivation was I just wanted to know everything I could about this team. And I wanted to tell the story, but as I, as I went further in the project, I sort of, you know, you, you you latch on to these teams. You sort of develop an affinity for them. And and I found myself like thinking that hopefully this book helps, you know, bring the, these points that that define their legacy into into the light and and get people thinking about the Rockies again and you know remembering them and making sure that they're not forgotten because. If you look at the history of Colorado hockey, I mean they're a big part of it, and uh, you can't take that away from them so so I think if we had to talk about their legacy, that's it i think if the if the avalanche and the devils you know choose to do more, uh, and there's signs that that that's happening actually, the devils this year for their um, third uniform program uh, they they actually incorporated the the blue and the gold, uh, that, that was the scouts and the Rockies colors into that Jersey.
0: I think, I think Um, they, I think both, I think, uh, the avalanche did as well. I think both teams did that.
2: Yeah, they did. They did too. Yeah. So, so it's positive, you know, like, you know, these are now, these are big businesses. Hockey teams are big businesses and things take time. And I realize that, but, uh, I think we're maybe moving in the right direction and, Oh, it would just be great to see to see that banner, you know, up in let's say both arenas, and uh, and 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 to see those jerseys back on the ice. That would that would really move that legacy meter to to the next to the next level. And you know, hopefully, um, hopefully this book does something in, in that regard too.
0: God forbid, and hopefully, we'll help you sell an extra couple of copies too. I one last thing, I'll sort of throw out there too. Mm-hmm. I, it's also interesting you know, we live in a day and age where literally everything is kind of at our fingertips. And and um, what I find fascinating, and, and w- with all due respect, actually is continues to be the fuel behind like why we have been doing this for seven years, and probably we will do it for another 17. Because this we're always make more, uh, there's always more, either discoveries of the old or attempts to do the new and, and, and further defunctness to come. And don't, don't get me started on mm-hmm. the various leagues and you know, the fifth Pickleball League and all that kind of stuff that, that will provide that fodder. But, um, you know, in the age where the, where, where YouTube is just, uh, this, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I, it's really interesting to sort of see how people can much more easily discover uh, what used to be, especially if it was uh, on radio at the, back in the day or on television back in the day. And somebody has the um, wherewithal to find it Uh, at a garage sale and or digitize it and upload it. And I don't think there's a whole lot of Colorado Rockies footage out there, original NHL Colorado Rockies footage out there, but you just know that it's sitting there somewhere and there will be more that will be digitized and revealed over time. The more persistent and um, available, I guess, those tidbits of history, I think, that increases the chances uh, that people will want to discover and go down the further rabbit holes. A book like this, as well as a tome that people have to kind of absorb if they want to understand like what was going on in the 70s in Denver and what was sports and what was McNichols and what was this hockey team and and, and then the lineage of all that stuff. Uh, to me, those are just stories uh, that are just kind of latent and and ready to be kind of uh, rediscovered and maybe even reconstituted and maybe even fodder for a streaming uh, series or something like that. I mean, there's so much gold there to mine. Um, and we only just scratched the surface of like what some of the wackiness of that could have been. Right. So um, I don't know. It, it's heartening. It's, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I see these retro jerseys and stuff uh, at once. It feels like well, about time uh, and the curiosity that it brings up uh, to a new generation of, of, of people and fans who didn't know, you know what any histories of these things were before but then it also feels like it also feels like a gold uh not a gold rush but a uh a, you know a, a quick buck making kind of a, a scenario too and i don't know i i guess i don't know how i like to sort of see that history evolve and be remembered but i guess it's a good sign that at least it is starting at least in some respects to be remembered
2: i i, I couldn't agree more and and i and i you know i really like your point about the uh the availability of of a lot of this stuff on youtube and and other you know mediums that we have at our disposal now thanks to thanks to the internet um you know there is there is some Rockies footage out there, not nearly as much as I would like, but there's about uh oh I don't know maybe five five or so complete games from the Rocky history, including the the first game in Philadelphia of that playoff series, which was a huge help to me in, in putting together this book, uh, you know, cause I could sit back and watch this game and, and I could, you know, rewind it and see the, the you know, nitty gritty details of each goal and, and, and really help, you know, describe that in the book. Um, I think in a lot of ways we're living in, in an age where, um, it's, it's so exciting to see the footage that we can now, um, enjoy, you know, and you think about back in the day, pre-internet, um, you know, how would you, what, what, what could you really even know, um, about a team like the Colorado Rockies? Uh, you know, you maybe have, Potent- potentially you kept old hockey magazines and you could read articles about them and uh maybe you would talk to people and uh maybe you know you'd have your own memories of of these but now with the internet and the, and not just the materials themselves but the ability to to um contact people <laughs> Who previously you had never have a hope of of reaching them, um you know a good example is there's a there's a great Facebook page that's set up that's dedicated to the Colorado Rockies, and um, you know, there's people who get on there and they just share memories and they share photos and um, there's even quite a few of the the Rockies players who are 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 on this. so um you know, in that sense. Uh, we're living in a golden age of of access to materials and I think Tim that uh, to truly appreciate what we have and and let's just hope it keeps growing and growing and growing but to truly appreciate what we have you, I think you have to have lived in the pre-internet age um, you know to, 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 to fully understand what we didn't have access to back then And what we have today. And, uh, you know, I personally, uh, you know, it's it's it's, it really is a goldmine. And I hope we just keep discovering more. I'm sure we will.
0: Many thanks to Greg. Get the book and get it now. Get it often. It's called Rocky Hockey. The short but wild ride of the NHL's Colorado Rockies. What we've been talking about for the last hour and change, for God's sakes. It is published by Stadium Press and now available wherever you find good books. Uh, And of course, if you go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com, search up this episode number 302 with Greg Enright, and you will find a convenient link to said Rocky Hockey book And uh, we'll get a couple of uh, nickels of referral love. We appreciate you doing that. And uh, while you're there at GoodSeatStillAvailable.com, why don't you tool around and check out all of our other episodes, over 300 now of them. Uh, And it's a great sampler platter for you to hopefully uh, then further uh, subscribe to us or follow us to whatever you do in podcast land and make sure that you get every single stinking episode that we put out there. We're available wherever you can find podcasts, for God's sakes. Uh, While you're online or actually on your mobile device, you can follow Greg Enright uh, two different places. One is at at NHL News Archive. And uh, there's also a uh, another Twitter handle devoted specifically to the topic at hand this week at colonel C-O-L Rockies at col Rockies. Those are both places you can follow the great Greg Enright. Uh, about his sojourn in hockey history, as well as the Colorado Rockies. Specifically, while you're on Twitter, why don't you check us out too? Follow us. Give us a follow. Uh, we're at Good Seats Still. You can also find us at on uh, the the, uh, the Instagram. Yeah, at uh, Good Seats Still Available. And yes, a little page devoted to us on Facebook as well. Would you like to send us an email? Okay, how about it? Send it to hello at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com uh what else you can um like i said go to our website uh find out all kinds of other uh good stuff uh, make a suggestion subscribe to our little newsletter that we will at some point reboot it uh in the in the weeks ahead and uh what else jerry payne you know who you are and uh now our fans do too well, we'll you, we've shattered you out every single week every single episode so if the fans don't know who you are by now well they just haven't been paying attention it is jerry payne audio excellence once again a tremendous service to humanity uh, achieved once again this week. Uh, our thanks to not only Jerry, but to you for listening. And until next week, will you take care of yourselves, will you? See ya and um, happy playoffs. Bye.